Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. This is just to let you know that the Cinema Catch-Up Club has an official Patreon page. If you'd like to become an official member of the club and get some bonus goodies, including early access material and bonus features only available to our patrons, then please join up at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. And now for this week's episode. Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast of films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host Stephen Platt, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we're doing something a little bit different, a little bit special. We've turned to our patrons over at patreon.com and we've let them pick the entire lineup for this month. Now, normally, if you're a long-term listener, you know that they get to suggest films that go into a public vote. Well, because we're so appreciative of them and their support, we've decided to just cut out the middleman and they get to decide the films. So the first film that has been suggested by them is 1979's the Muppet Movie. Joining me to watch The Muppet Movie, we have, as always, someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film, it's Brett Cullen, everybody! Hello! Well, now let me do that more professionally. Hello. Uh, Yes, uh, I appreciate both. How are you doing, Brett? Good, good. You know, well, as good as you can be in um, what is global madness, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we had you on right at the start of this kind of uh, tumult uh, for, for mm. us here in Australia. Um, it's, been, it's been about five, six weeks uh, since, mm. since we last had you on. Um, how, how have you found living in self-isolation? Look, I was kind of gunning for it anyway beforehand. But I'll tell you what, working from home with, with two kids hanging around, is, uh, it is a challenge in and of itself. Mm, but, indeed. Uh, you know. You know, right. what, what can you do really except lock them outside? Um, of the rain? In the rain. Or the house. Yeah, in the, the rain. Oh, no, just send them up the driveway and say, keep walking. I'll come pick you up later. All right. Well, <laughs> um, questionable parenting aside, you have not seen the Muppet movie. What, what's your sort of, um, what's your history with the Muppets? What do you, what do you know of them? Um, not a huge amount. Where I grew up, we didn't get any of the shows or anything like that. So I think the closest I got was kind of, uh, would have been Sesame Street, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sesame Street in like the eighties and nineties as I was growing up. But in terms of the Muppet movies, I think the only ones I've seen are Muppets Christmas Carol and Muppets Treasure Island. Mm-hmm. So I haven't seen anything really beyond that. I think, I think when we moved to Perth, I think the Muppet Babies was on like Agro's Cartoon Connection or something. So that was about it um so yeah definitely not sort of uh as much of a fixture for me as it is for let's say tegan yes well very nicely segued into our guest who has seen the film (laughs) it is tegan mulvaney everybody how you doing tegan i'm so excited it's my time to shine (laughs) what i'm really excited i'm enjoying life I'm so excited. I'm so happy. That's uh, good. I'm so happy. I've just aged a little bit through this COVID <laughs> thing. Just a few thousand years, but it's fine. Excellent. So, yeah, how, how, how has the process been for you? Because we haven't spoke to you since uh, we went into 
um, online yeah. Zoom-based podcasting? Um, look, I've just injected some disinfectant, so uh, we'll see how that goes in an hour or so when mm-hmm. we come back to this. Um, yeah, did, so, you, did you put sunlight up your bunghole? Sunlight in my bumhole? Yeah, I think that was the official uh, wording on the uh, press release. Strong oh, sunlight. I just thought, right, I just thought that was um, Birds of Tokyo's new album. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's going well. <laughs> it's going very well. We've all become I've watched, considerably I've watched every Judge Judy episode that's on YouTube that's available. Right. Um, and so it's not going just well. Holding out it. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good week for me. Um, just holding out for every week's next episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. And mm. so, you know, drinking a lot of tea. Um, I'm just drinking a lot. Yeah. How many bottles of bourbon have you had tonight? Let's not discuss that in a recorded <laughs> format. While we are in a recorded format, I do feel as though I'm obliged to say that the Cinema Catch-Up Club does not advise injecting yourself with bleach or sticking sunlight <laughs> up your bum hole. Uh, but what we do suggest is that you have a copy of the Muppet movie on hand. Now, Tegan, you were very excited uh, about the prospect of reviewing a Muppet film. Uh, but yes. in, in a sort of vague, non-spoilery sort of way, what can people who've not seen this film before expect from this very first Muppet movie? Um, I hope they can expect, I say in the, I say it in terms of what I hope they expect from it and what they get from it. Um, I think it's a very mature film. It's like that perfect blend, which is the Muppets and set like and Sesame Street of this beautiful, naive sweetness, but there's some really mature themes behind it. You know, that, that idea of love and unity and solidarity and, all that stuff, all that mushy stuff, but it's it's actually done quite on more of an adult level. And I love that about this film. Well, I, I love this film more as an adult than as a kid. I think this film is beautiful for adults. Um, all right. It is so exciting. And you know how when we did Little Shop of Horrors and I bored everyone by nerding out quite mm-hmm. a bit over that mm-hmm. film? Well, get ready um, because I'm gonna nerd out. <laughs> so That's much I love this film and I love the Muppets um and they mean they mean so much to me and I say that with all earnestness and all honesty <laughs> they make whatsoever I love it they're none there's absolutely none from this little cynical pessimistic cow of a woman there's <laughs> so much love and joy for the Muppets <laughs> so I'm so excited all right so no pressure on liking it Brett <laughs> yeah, no, it should be fine. It's a great film. I love it. Already. I'm really excited. I'm really excited to watch this with you, Brett, because you know you've got such a filmmaker's brain, and I think there's some cool stuff in here for for a filmmaker's brain as well. But there's also, you know, they made this since 1979, mm. and there was you can there's a budget there, and you know they everything was done manually. So I think it'll be really fascinating to talk about that later. Um, mm, just, just how just they the innovation of puppeteering is crazy exactly. anyway. Exactly, like within the first 10 minutes, they, um, they created a whole new way of puppeteering. Oh, um, spoiler alert. Now I no, know well, it's you, puppeting. Oh, yeah, there's puppets. Sorry. Oh, um, Tegan, come on. Uh, we, we better watch it before I say anything else. All yeah. right. 
Well, for those of you listening, oh, there's a frog in it. And, uh. <laughs> well, yeah. well, it is definitely a good time uh, to tell everyone uh, to load up their streaming services and hope they get that rainbow connection because we're going to watch the Muppet movie. And welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching The Muppet Movie. And by we, I, of course, mean Tegan Mulvaney. Hello. And Mr. Hi. Brett Cullen. Hello. So, Brett, that was your first time watching Muppet Movie. What did it you think? It was. It's brilliant. It's Yay. so clever. Ah, oh, they don't make him like that anymore. I think. They really um, don't. There's just, it was just so straightforward and so enjoyable and just, ah, yeah, no, I loved it. It was so good. It was so dry and so clever. (laughs) And I just, tremendous. It was, it was was really, really good fun. And I'm I'm really pleased that, um, that you enjoyed it so much from this first viewing. Um, And Tegan, I'm sure you're relieved to hear that as well. I'm thrilled. Like I, <laughs> I'm so excited. No, it, it's, it's that validation of when something hits you. So, you know, when it means so much to you, because mm. it really does, whether that's, you know, a, an odd thing that I should seek therapy about or not. I, I it really <laughs> means so much to me. So, so someone I love dearly, like Brett loving it too, is, is really nice. Ah, yeah, it is that it's a, it's a nice foundation when you're showing something you love, and someone enjoys it. The feeling when they don't enjoy it, oh boy. <laughs> oh my God. Mm. Why are you on your yes. phone? Oh no, I'm paying attention. No, <laughs> no I love it really. No, I'm just this, this looking fantastic. I loved it. Excellent. Um, <laughs> I, I have to admit, this was also my first time watching this film as well, in, in that I've never watched this film from start to finish before. Um, ah. I had seen clips, uh, particularly things like the the fart in the road, like those bits. Um, (laughs) As a child, I'd been exposed to bits of the Muppet film, but I'd never actually watched the whole thing. So for me, this was kind of like a weird mix of, I remember Gonzo with the balloons, because I'd obviously seen the county fair bit, but then Mel Brooks and Madeline Kahn turn up. (laughs) What are you guys doing in a Muppet film? And Richard Pryor yes. in a world's shortest cameo of swindling Gonzo. Yeah, Bob yes. Hope. I have, I have a lot Hope. to say about Gonzo, so we'll get there. <laughs> oh, we, we will. Uh, living Don't. up to his name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, so the, the, the plot such that it is, is, is a pretty um, simple plot. Kermit the Frog is a frog who lives in a swamp and he encounters Dom DeLuise in a boat. Dom DeLuise, <laughs> yes. <laughs> As all classic stories do, who's uh, a Hollywood agent and tells him uh, they're looking for frogs. And it, it begins this great American road trip where he meets all the other Muppets and they come together uh, to make it in Hollywood. And it's that that is as much story as they need, because I think what is so tremendous about this this film is the just the just the absolute joy of these characters and I mean this in the best possible way, farting around with each other. They're, they're just mm. having a ball. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They don't they, let anything get in the way of just telling the story. 
they get the and like as far as road trip movies go they without ramming the cliche down anyone's throat they get that idea of you know the the journey being the success not the not the actual end point like yeah yeah. i think they do that so much better than most road trip movies do because there's no like literal having literal moment of them having to go see see look 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 yeah why i love the ending of this film which i know is a bit because some a lot of people who like this film don't like the ending but i love the ending really well, what, do they, yeah. what do they say about it i because well we do you want to start at the start before we get to the end or no no start at to... the end i, I i'm I go I, to the end yeah i'm probably curious. saw the most recently the ambiguity of it. i think um again I, it's i think it's a really wonderful way of recapping because ultimately it's a kid's film but it's that beautiful way of recapping the journey um in this kind of ruse of a really crappily put together film you know mm. they're starting to put together this film they have to make themselves and then but the, the metaphor of it of this isn't this isn't what's made us a success this isn't what has made us rich and famous it's the mm. fact that look at all these people who we're working with now which really kind of is the story of the Muppets when you delve deeply into the story of them. Yeah. I mean, that um, made complete sense to me that they, yeah, they tried to, it. they tried to, they tried to get put together this big flashy, you know, professional looking thing and it all fell apart. But what they found in the end was each other, which is the whole message of what the entire film is doing. And they still have like, there's, you can, there's old guys talking, old Muppet guys talking is, um, runs every now and then and it's all the it's um frank oz dave Gould's, and if and a lot of the other uh muppet uh puppeteers all still mm. get together they still love each other very much they still know each other they hang out they do these wonderful podcasts and things um well, it's, it's like us doing performance right you have to have trust yeah. but then you like we've done some puppet stuff before and i've always found it very difficult because the eye lines change. And in what we do, the eye lines are really important because you get so much from the other performer from that. Yeah. The setups, you know, moving to the technical stuff, the technical setups of this film were incredible. And I know mm. when I was little, uh, I loved Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and Yoda. So I knew a lot about sort of the mechanical nature of false floors, you know, Frank Oz being under the floor, puppeting Yoda and being six foot off mm. the ground, the actors mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. But some of the technical stuff in this film was incredible. I think the first well, one was... That's why I couldn't, like, when you, we were kind of messaging back and forth about it, that's why I was like, blur, with all that information about the, the scene in the swamp. Yeah, you knew there's coming. footage of it, it's, and there's, like, diagram drawings that you can well, find. Hang on, hang on. Go back, go back and, and, and say again what you said to me, because it's kind of incredible. So um, they built a metal cylinder that they could drop underwater that was airtight, watertight. So Jim Henson sat in that and then they had a little vacuum seal for his arm with a glove on the end of it so he could pull his arm out and puppet um, Kermit. And then he had a little va- a little air tube running into it. So it was like this rinky-dink little submarine that they'd made to shoot literally in the water so because he's on that tiny little island and mm. you can that people dom deloise could row the boat all around him if he wanted to like it was incredible just the ingenuity incredible. of how do we and do that well we need to seal the, the performer other part in. of that yeah so sorry to interrupt the other part of that is in that 
um, cylinder, he had to have a monitor with him as well. So, and you think of the monitors uh, that you would have had in 1979 mm -hmm. as that well. Used so to be he my had job all this... is slip monitor <laughs> lugging around, and they were little LCD things. Jeez. Yeah, they, imagine the big chunkers that they had. So wow. he had to then sit with that um, with him, so he could get and get the um, you know the eye lines and everything correct inside that cylinder with him. And he had to. I think they did it for two days straight. And there were some wow. days when they had to pull him out because he couldn't actually, I think he was crouched in there and he couldn't actually move Cramped. his legs to get back out of it. Mm. Wow. I mean, this, this film is a, a technical marvel um, of, of puppetry. I mean, you know, there's things mm. like that sequence, which is, I think it's such a brilliant opening sequence of seeing Kermit the full character and the full body and i think that you know we see his legs we see him riding a bike in the next scene it's I know. It, mm. it's all these things which kind of shatter that illusion of oh yeah but they're they're hand puppets as they would have been in the television show largely the fact that you know we yeah. see kermit walking around in cowboy boots for a, a showdown towards the <laughs> yeah. end like yeah but there's there's the, the the technical stuff of it serves the storytelling because they really want you to invest in the emotion and the journey of these puppets mm -hmm. and the way they do that is by removing the obvious nature of being a puppet mm. you know yeah. and that's such a clever way and that comes down to you know jim henson and frank oz and all the rest of those puppeteers being so invested in the art of it and like i've got we were friends that do puppetry as well and it is absolutely an art form and for them to have done that on that scale is is just incredible. But there was a lot of really small technical things. So there was a scene when the the was it El Slizo Cafe, mm. the owner gets thrown out. So Kermit is in front of the the doors going, oh, foreign food, <laughs> that's, whatever. That's James then, Coburn, by the way. That's yes, like James Coburn. Yeah, gets thrown amazing. out. And, <laughs> yeah, um, they do this neat little trick where they've got a stack of debris there's like some crates and barrels and stuff and so obviously the puppeteer is behind that jim henson is behind that operating kermit and then they move the camera around to front onto the doors for coburn to come flying out and kermit is shifted around to the side on the other side of the barrels so where the puppeteer just was in the previous shot is now empty space and there's these beautiful cuts and edits all the way through that that continue to do that so where the puppet puppeteer would have had to have been just previously they show it as empty space next and it's that beautiful linkage that consistency of going no, no these are puppets these are these are real and it's it's interesting because mm. a lot of that artistry is is i mean it's around right sesame street is still going but in, yeah. in feature films like we'll do it in post we'll do it as a as a cg insert you know we'll judge our binks it hmm. yeah it, it's that's the, the practical and the practical effects make all the difference mm. it's well, for the i think and as well. i mean the point the point of puppetry is to make an inanimate object animated yeah that's that's having been a puppeteer now for a fair few years um and having to study it and go through a, and courses and things like the first thing they make you learn. And it's literally about half a day of the core of courses is how to make your puppet breathe. So you mm -hmm. have to do, you have to learn where the center of your puppet is for breath. Yep. Um, and when you figure that out, the whole world kind of opens up where you start finding out nuances and how they talk and their mouth movements. Like, and the Muppets are a great example of, like, like, of that. Like Kermit's mouth is made mm. soft. Most puppet mouths are made very hard. 
but Jim Henson always made his mouth soft so he could do that little curl face that's that he does in the Kermit's yeah. voice. That's it. There's yeah. those little things like um, Gonzo's nose always being so he looks like an unfinished puppet on purpose. There's <laughs> there's all of these choices that they've made that just work to enhance the life in those puppets. It's incredible. Mm. It's a brilliant display of artistry and just the passion that goes into it. Because those setups, oh my God, they must have taken it. The, the props and the set designers are masterful because the amount of care that goes into designing, designing sets and props for people to walk around and through is hard enough. But to do that on a technical scale of having a weight-bearing false floor for so yeah. many of your things or going, we can't get a false floor in here because it's a lake. So let's build a submarine instead. It's, it's brilliant. And that's not even, we're just talking about technical stuff, but the, <laughs> the story and the writing and how dry and clever and it <laughs> goes by so fast. The jokes, they, they don't even, they don't even wait for them to land. It's just like bang, 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 off they go. And I love that because that, I mean, that's, that's kind of my style of comedy as well as, I'll mm. tell a joke. I don't care if you get it or not because I'm moving on because I've already, the funny part for me was telling it. Mm. And that it's, it's, oh, I loved it. It was it, so clever. It Yay. was great. Um, I, and you're right. They really do, well, they do move it right along. That's even one of the songs. Um, yeah. you know, th 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 this whole film <laughs> yeah. is at a decent pace. There's, there's very few moments where they kind of stop and reflect. They, they do that at the beginning and the end, obviously, with Rainbow Connection. You have um, mm. that, that lovely song, uh, just before the third act, uh, that my, my funeral song, my funeral yeah. song. song, yeah, Gonzo's song, which Tegan was messaging. I'm dead serious about that. That's my yeah. funeral song. But, but I absolutely, oh I, I absolutely get why you would pick that as a as a funeral song because mm. it is this little moment of contemplation about this sort of found family story, which the Muppets mm. is both as a property and in this film. But the rest of it is super fast. You know, it's a uh, Oh, we've got a. We're being chased by this guy. Quick, we'll paint the car, but we'll do it in a musical number. Um, we yeah. also do it mayhem. in a way that stops in front of a billboard, so it almost exactly lines up for. It's a so funny. Gag, mm. a gag that goes yeah. by in about four seconds that would have taken months and months and months of work. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and, and even things like the fork in the road. Um, it's like that. Mm. That's a good funny five-second joke. Somebody had to make a twelve-foot fork. Like that's. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the thing is they've they've done all these really incredible things. The pie billboard? Yes. <laughs> her eyes, did you notice her eyes were animated? Like they they'd mm. rigged those yeah. eyes to open and close. They were kind of freaky. We'll get onto freaky eyes in a bit, but because I've got a note here for that. But just <laughs> just that whole road sequence is they never slow down. And there's a lot of road films. I think I think it was who was it saying? It's still the best road film. Better than better road film than than um, Green Book. <laughs> kill it with fire yeah. kill that did, they, did this win many awards or did it get recognized i mean it's a it's a puppet film in the 70s so. so i guess not uh in I terms mean, it's... of awards uh it was nominated for an academy award for best original song and best adapted score although it didn't win either mm. of those things it was also oh, nominated God. for a golden globe for best original song it didn't win that it did win uh, a Grammy Award for Best Album for Children and a Saturn Award for Best Fantasy Film. So, yeah, it was nominated award. mostly for the music. Um, but and I, I can see why, because the music in this film is great. And, you know, the Muppets mm. generally have good music. Um, the, the films, and the Paul Daniels shows. is in it. Paul Daniels is the pianist at the El Slizo. 
Oh, oh right. Okay. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. okay. There we go. Yeah. He also wrote. Um, he wrote. Um, just an old-fashioned love song coming down in three-part harmony. This like trashy <laughs> '70s song. But he, I've got some great trivia on him. Oh, so, yeah. You know, um, a long-time friend, listener, and participant of the podcast, Michael DeGrassa. Yes, DeGrassa. DeGrassa. He formed a really beautiful friendship with Paul. Da- uh, Paul keep saying Paul Daniels, but he's a British magician, <laughs> Paul Williams. <laughs> Well, Daniel in Johnson? Canada, when, <laughs> when he lived in Canada, he can't remember how they, I think you went to see him in concert and then ended up playing piano with him and they formed a friendship and he signed, uh, he signed one of his t-shirts and, and stuff wow. like that. So they became good mates. I mean, we all hate Michael so much, but, yeah. um, but he He's does a terrible have, human being. he is. Yeah. With a terrible, yeah, we, we plumb him for those contacts. Yes. Um, he does look like the bad guy from Kindergarten Cop sometimes yep. when he yep. has his hair long and shaves his beard. So yep. uh, that's enough said, I think. Um, mm. It's I love extremely that... upset him to look him directly <laughs> in the face. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Paul Williams is this, he's only like five foot two and he's this, he was in an episode of the Muppets on the first, first season, I think first or second season. He's this great. He looks like a Muppet himself. Mm. Um, <laughs> But his music is beautiful. It's so cool. Mm. Mm. And it, it's just, um, it, it ties this film together so nicely where you never feel as though there's too many songs happening back to back. And likewise, there's never too long a gap between songs. It, it, mm. it, it's a very well-paced film. And it, it's 90 minutes, uh, this film. And it's absolutely the perfect length for this film. Um, yeah. Yep. It's enough for you to have that that fun and those kind of jokes. It's not a terribly serious story, so you don't get bogged down in in too much. I mean, the yeah. baddies are after Kermit because they want him to be the spokes frog for a <laughs> fried frog chain restaurant. French fried frog's legs, Doc Hoppers, Doc Hoppers, French fried frog legs. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's not pretty deep. full on. Oh, oh, mm. it's full on though. Yeah, it's not it's not terribly deep, but it is incredibly full no. on in that they try and kill Kermit, and they're very open yep. about this. <laughs> They form a posse to go and hunt him down and then engage a specialist frog assassin Mm. who comes with his own trident or like a spear trident launcher to, and he's terrifying. Mm. I thought you could play him, Brett. I think you'd be cool. That that or animal. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's so funny that it's so funny that, um, is it Austin Pendleton, the guy that plays Max? The mm. like right hand man. Yeah. Mm. I used to hate him when I was a kid because he's also the bad guy in um short circuit. Oh. So oh, that's where I know him from. Two of my favorite films, he was this like nerdy, annoying dickhead who wanted to mess with my favorite guys, like number five and Kermit <laughs> were my bros and he wanted to mess with them. It's so funny. I mean, he kind of came good towards the end. Well, that yeah, he's a redeemable character in both, but that kind of just annoyed me as well. I was like, oh, you're such a drip. Um, <laughs> he gets out of it. I was saying to you, Brett, that if you love this, you'll have to watch Great Muppet Caper then. Which is, I know. I almost feel like we should save that and do another podcast. Do another oh, podcast on it. It's not as um, it's not as heartfelt, but mm. it is 
ridiculous. They're like, I, Charles Grodin is um, Miss Piggy's love interest and he is into <laughs> it. He is so into the role. It is. I, I think I've seen incredible. clips from that of, of their like really intense kind of, you know, double entendre ness in that film. I've seen clips of that film. But yeah, like I said, the only full Muppet films I've seen is Treasure Island, which I watched a lot because uh, of Tim Curry. And um, Muppets Christmas Carol, because it was always on at Christmas time. But that's also Have you watched the, um, sorry, this is just turning into a, like a phone conversation. I've just realized instead of an actual podcast. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's what a podcast is, right? Yeah, right. don't stop. Um, you have to watch the outtakes from Muppet Christmas Carol as well. There's a wonderful outtake where, you know, it's like, it's uh, Ghost of Christmas, Christmas Present, uh, Ghost of Christmas Future and Tiny Tim's Dead. And <laughs> they're all sitting around having dinner. And, um, you know, and they've set the table for Tiny Tim and, and Miss Piggy's going before and we wish Tiny Tim were here, but he's not. And then one of the other um, Piggy girls, the one of the, the children of Kermit and mm. Piggy goes, yeah, we miss him. May I have his dinner? Miss <laughs> 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 uh, Frank Oz being a jerk and I love it. Yeah. And, and although the, the thing that is really lovely about those characters, and I think it's something that that ties through all these Muppet films, um, but it's so nice to see it present from this first one, is that the characters are just so fully formed already. I know they've been on the TV show for a while at this point, but the mm. fact that they're filmic versions are so kind of already set. Um, Miss Piggy is this big, elaborate damsel character who we also see have a proper full-on choreographed fight scene in this film which is oh, just so good. Yeah. wonderful in in every so film after food. that she she had one in every she always yeah. has a hulk out moment yeah i remember that but much. It's, she is if you watch her in these films and like if you watch more recent miss piggy stuff like they had that that kind of odd series of the muppets that came out about five oh, yeah. years ago the one that was a bit um, like the office yeah, it was. It had its moments, but she was horrible. They turned the character into this real bitch, and I think it's important to remember. Like when you watch Miss, she's just a. She's really flawed. She's mm. she's got problems. That's why she's not. She's dehumanized. Mm. She becomes and, a and really like massive that. narcissist in, in. Yeah, and she's not that. She's not that at all. And it's really well, important. There is the moment where she gets a call from her agent. She's like, what do you got? Like, how much? Yeah, Mort, what do you and got? She goes, yeah, Mort. Well, um. Goodbye. Goodbye. I mean, there is that <laughs> element. So Whoa. All right. Yeah. The, cool. There is that element to Miss Piggy. Um, but you're, you're right. I do feel as though that has maybe been played up a, a bit more than and I would see, like. Fozzie, mm. Fozzie pisses me off as a cat. He has always pissed me off because he just ruins Kermit's life all the time yeah. yep that's so yeah. like if we're talking about these people it's it's a real look at it's a dissection of understanding the flaws in people's characters because they will have yeah. them and accepting them for who they are so miss piggy's got this side Which to her that's exactly right kermit's like the voice of reason and season but then kermit gets really yeah. you know he's got his own issues he's a little weak little frustrated guy who's very smart but he can't He's not very really strong. He everyone so, else's problems, which was the whole yeah. thing of him talking to himself in the desert. This is how deep they are. This is why mm. I love them. Mm -hmm. They're so Yeah, important. they're fully formed characters. It's beautiful. Yeah. 
but Fozzy annoys you despite the fact he is a fully formed character because he is essentially waka waka. Yeah, he he is just <laughs> waka waka. He's he's lovely to watch, um, but at the same time, he I really like Fozzy. It's probably not going to surprise anyone, um, but <laughs> I I do acknowledge the fact that he is also kind of he's maybe the one character that never really grows in any Muppet thing. He's always just Fozzy. Um, mm. you, you don't get something like in Muppets from Space where we really get an in-depth look at Gonzo or, you know, these other things where we, we, where we focus oh, on yeah. Isn't characters. It in Alien? Yeah. Is yeah. that what comes out in that film? Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. I think I might have seen that. That's not a spoiler. That's, that's pretty much from that's the, the core. To, yeah, that's the core plot point. Yeah. yeah. And also just the fact that even in this film, they're like, what is he exactly? I think he's a turkey or something. I don't know. Yeah, but he's <laughs> he but not a turkey. Entirely like a turkey. So whatever. Yeah, um, but yeah, they, they are they are such lovely characters, and you know, getting all these sort of—I don't want to call them secondary Muppets, but they're not those like Muppets that they're not the big three or four. But those characters like Animal, Rolf, Rolf, Animal. Um, mm. Doctor Bunsen, Doctor yeah, Doctor Teeth mm. as Dr. well. Um, yeah, they're all used really well in this film. I think this is probably the best version uh, or best use of the the electric mayhem in any of the films that I've seen. Mm. Um, they're they're yeah. lovely in this, uh, and they're all so stoned. It's it's oh, really yeah. funny. <laughs> I love it. Zoot is just out of his mind for the entire film, and I've met people. <laughs> I've met musicians like that. Like, yeah, mm. like, how do you function? And then they get up and play their instrument. And you're like, wow, all right. That's just going directly to your brain's pathways. It's bypassing every other part of your body that's completely stoned out of your mind. It's great. Uh, uh, Brett, you wanted to touch on Gonzo um, before we moved on. <laughs> yeah, Gonzo and his relationship with his chicken wife. Mm-hmm. Camilla. Camilla the chicken. is like As a kid, you're like, yeah, of course. He, he likes a chicken. That's cool. That's fine. But the complexities, and this is something I've noticed that I've been doing, like as a parent, I read a lot of kids' books and I can't help but try and analyze the logical outcomes of the books. So there's like Franklin the Turtle and there's, <laughs> the, the, there's some, some people have, so there's a one with a pet and he wants to get a pet and some of the animals talk about wanting to get dogs and cats. Another one wants talks about a rabbit. Later in the book series, a rabbit is a character. So in that world... How does that work? Do people have jobs? Is there currency because he pays for something? Anyway, my point is when I see something like Gonzo and a chicken, I think physically, how does that work? Well, what in the Muppet is... world, you're, it's the same because Miss Piggy has a pet dog. Right. Who can't speak and, and woofs like a dog, but there's Rolf. Well, that's like Pluto and Goofy, right? But isn't yeah. Goofy... Something else. Goofy's a dog. They've said he's a dog. There was something. Wasn't that that a thing that happened a couple of years ago? Don't know. Maybe it's in the Goofy movie. There's another one for us. I mean, a quick uh, Google to the Muppet Wiki, which I've just done, um, does have a a whole page which is about Gonzo's attraction to chickens, like a page specifically about that. Um, And they are listed. Yeah, they are listed as being amorous. Apparently, it first surfaced in episode 204 of The Muppet Show when he was holding auditions for Dancing Chickens and Dave Gola, mm-hmm. as the performer, ad-libbed the line, 
Don't call us, we'll call you. Nice legs, though, end quote. After that, the writers decided that Gonzo should have an attraction to chickens. So it's been a running gag for a long time. But in terms of the nature of the relationship, in terms of, you know, things like, is it romantic? Is it aromantic? Is it physical? You know, is it sexual? Is it some sort of weird, like, food attraction thing? Like, I don't know the exact nature of it. I Does can, he eat I the can, eggs? I can that add she lays. to that. I can add Does to that. Gonzo, Gonzo is just a sexual character, I think, because listening to what you're saying there, he. So again, in the Great Muppet Cape, which is the next one, next, the the whole thing is they go to London to solve a jewel heist, and the owner of the jewels who gets stolen, she runs a modelling. She runs like a, she's a clothes designer and there's all these models everywhere and gonzo is always the one going like hubba hubba like he's totally into <laughs> all the chicks everywhere and there's no chickens in the, there's a couple of chickens in that one um there's no but, there's a couple of chickens <laughs> a couple of course there is it's the Muppets. There's, there's, always chicken. there's, there's always chickens and rats um but he and singing vegetables but he um i just that just made me think of that like the marla dala and vala who are the three bad girls models who who um he's all over them he's like yeah ladies so i think he's he trying does. to impregnate them to uh continue his race when it, there's nothing it's almost ace i don't know if it's because of that big phallic nose he's got but it's almost like <laughs> it's almost like a preteen boy would be you know like when they're trying yeah, to be cool yeah. and they're like yeah chicks. And you're like you know that you they haven't got a pube yet but they're still talking yeah. that, that language if she came That's up to you want. and said let's have sex you would cry yeah, you'd pee yourself. Like, it, yeah, it's that kind of thing. That's what I kind of see Gonzo as. So, well, I'm glad that we clarified that. <laughs> still loves Cloaca, though. In, indeed. Um, before we get on to the trivia, um, I, I do just want to touch on the fact that this film has a lot of cameo guest stars. Obviously, starting with Dom DeLuise, uh, as we've already said, James Coburn, Madeleine Kahn, just reprising Louis von Stupp from Blazing Saddles. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Carol Kane as Myth. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's just wonderful. Um, can I tell like, you a story yeah. about that? Can I quickly? You can, you can tell us a Carol Kane story. Sorry, nerding like. out. My what? Yeah, that's what I want to tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've told, I've probably told you this, Brett. I tell everyone because live vicariously through my sister but she's you know she did um the hunters and carol yeah. kane was in that with her and when they were all getting to know each other um a few weeks into filming um kate was talking about how she'd gone to uh queens uh to see the the muppet and jim henson exhibition that's at the museum of the moving image mm. and she was telling that to another uh, another um, actor and Carol was listening in and Carol came and went, ah, oh, hey, I was in a film with the Muppets. And Kate was like, Kate, because, you know, I'm a Muppet nerd. My sister is, is as much as me, maybe more. Mm. And Kate, they didn't know each other too well. She was like, I, I know Carol. I, I, I know that. And she was, Carol Kane was like... Yeah, I I have this thing where every time someone said myth, myth, I had to pop out and say yes. And then, that and then Kate voice was like, taken. oh my God. 
Kate was like, I know Carol. Kate, Carol was like, you know what, Kate? We should do it today. We should keep doing it. Let's do it. And so the entire day on set, Carol Kane would go, Katie, say it. Kate would go, <laughs> this, this. Carol would go, yeah. And they did it wow. for about 18 hours. I was like, that's the coolest thing that's ever happened. That's incredible. This, this is how nerdy nerdy we are about the Muppets. The, that happened the same day that my sister had her first one-on-one -on -one scene with Al Pacino because she's, she's in a lot of scenes with him one-on-one. -on -one. But that was the story she told me first. <laughs> that was the highlight. That was the highlight. And she'd had this, uh, and then she told me this Pacino stuff, which was incredible as well. Because yeah, how could like, that no, no, not no. be? But that's what she told me. I mean, I, Pacino's not been in a Muppets film, as far as I know. So no, you know, he, he, he can go sit He's on been an in egg. A film with some real Muppets, but yeah. If you want to see something really funny, though, look up um, De Niro on Sesame Street. Robert De Niro on Sesame Street talking about acting, mm. where they're asking him how he how he acts. And he shows them and then he's like, okay, if I want to be a dog, I just think I'm a dog. And then they cut back to him and it's, it's a dog Muppet, but with his voice. Oh, and wow. then at one point, one point he goes, they go, what if you want to be a cabbage? And he goes, I just think like a cabbage. And it cuts back and it's, De Niro was a cabbage <laughs> and it's got De Niro's face. And it's <laughs> the best thing you'll ever see in your life. I think that's I think wonderful. Everyone should watch that. That's absolutely yeah. wonderful. But yeah, incredible, incredible cameos. Um, Bob Hope as an ice cream vendor. Steve Martin as just this waiter who's just not happy. Steve Martin in shorts. Yeah. Shorts. Would you like to smell the bottle cap? Oh, it's, <laughs> oh it, may I? It's beautiful. Uh, Mel Brooks, obviously, um, as Professor Max mm. Crassman. Uh, and I think Crassman by name and <laughs> Crassman by nature. It's, it's wonderfully <laughs> camp. And just very much what Mel he Brooks just, was. He went all in on that. Yeah, it was but they, and they let him, you know, he's a German doctor. He's a World War Two German, <laughs> German doctor. Like they, Nazi they've, they've doctor, totally, they've, yeah, total Nazi. They've totally gone. I think he even almost puts a Heil in there at some. He clicks. His he does together. the boot he, click. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. So they really let them push their humor all the way through it, which is mm. really beautiful. And of course, uh, mm. Cloris Leachman uh, as the secretary and Orson Welles as Lou Lord. Yeah. Just, Brett, you were not expecting Orson Welles to be in this I, movie. I don't know who I was expecting. I'm like, who, who could it be in 79? And I'm like, mm. it's going to be Marlon Brando or Orson Welles. And he just does his stern look. Mm. And then that one line. Oh, it was, it was wonderful. It might be in your trivia but I, I think I could be wrong. They, that was their like goal was to get Orson yeah. Welles for that for that mm. role, and they just went, he'll never do it, he'll never do it, and they just sent it to his agent, and then he was like, okay, <laughs> and they were <laughs> shitting themselves that day. Like it was so incredible. But you got to, because by then Jim Henson had been in the industry for since the 50s. I think 1955 mm. was when he first started doing TV puppetry. Yeah, so right. he was pretty successful by then, but not to that level. This was a whole new thing for them to be doing, which is pretty incredible. 
would you guys like some trivia about the Muppet movie? No. Jam it, jam it in my cloaca, please. Okay. Uh, this trivia is all sourced from IMDb, so if it isn't true, don't blame me. Uh, in a 2004 <laughs> interview, John Landis revealed that he was the puppeteer for Grover during the final sequence, as Frank Oz was busy operating Miss Piggy. Landis also noted that Tim Burton was amongst the many puppeteers in the final shot. Wow, so they, those were all puppeted. Oh, yeah. yeah. Far out. That's a lot of people. Did That must have been so hot in the middle. Mm. Oh. It's look, it's a sweaty job puppeteering, and um, when you're making the Muppet movie, it makes absolute sense that they go, Yes, yes, hundreds of puppets in one shot. This is our excuse to do this. Um, and it looked it was a great shot, it looked brilliant, yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be CG now. You wouldn't get that many people, you wouldn't get a producer to agree to get that many people on set Mm. with the puppets lip syncing to playback. Hmm. It just it just wouldn't happen, I don't think. No. I love the Muppets they choose on there. They've got so many, because they've got all the Sesame Street ones at the back, but then they've just got like singing lobsters at the front and like all of your favourite little, like very detailed but unnamed Muppets. I actually like, didn't, I'm going to go back and have a look at that picture now because I actually didn't recognise anyone that was significant. Let me go back. At the, and through the back is the Sesame Street. So I think um, it, uh, Ernie and Bert are in there. Um, I'm pretty sure Big Bird's in there. Then all your big monsters are in there. Um, it's, yeah, it's quite, it's quite spectacular. When Animal accidentally eats Dr. Bunsen Honeydew's Instagrow pills, he memorably balloons up through the roof. Jim Henson refused to use a normal puppet on a miniature set to accomplish this effect, so his crew had to construct a gigantic animal head that measures 60 feet. Wow, I did wonder that, because you see on, on, on the reverse shot, the looking down shot from up high, I was mm. like, is that a perspective shot? But then I looked at the materials on the back of his head and you can see the scale as materials. I, I, you can get away with it now because they've got you know manufacturing processes that can make those fibers so small. But I did I did think did they construct that and put that up there because that's mental. Mm. But you know it's Jim Henson, right? It oh, certainly it comes is. Okay. Speaking of mental stunts, uh, the illusion of Fozzie driving the Studebaker was achieved by having um, and this is the language that they've used uh, a little person drive the car by remote control from the trunk, using a television monitor to guide his steering. The puppeteers would then lie down on the seat or the floor and obviously not be able to see a thing. The first time they tested it, the television monitor went on the blink and the driver had to be talked through the scene by an assistant via a walkie-talkie, as in a bit to the right, then a bit to the left. But yeah, that is essentially a couple of guys controlling puppets and then another person in the trunk controlling it via remote control. And that is my favorite thing I learned about this film. That they, they went, this <laughs> I did, I did notice that. They were swerving and there's one bit where it's kind of on the left. It, it actually, I, I think it might be, it's, very, it's fairly early on in the kind of, on the country roads and it starts in the left lane and it actually comes off the road a little bit. And by the end of the shot, it's come all the way across over into the right lane as it comes past the camera. I'm like, hmm. How are they doing that? I think it's perfectly in character 
I think it's perfectly in character that a bear can't drive a car, though. Yeah, oh, yeah. But it's his yeah. natural habitat. Very few bears can. Studebaker. Yeah, true. That's a great line. <laughs> <laughs> a bear in his natural habitat. Studebaker. <laughs> I also uh, love. Um, I also love. Bear left, right frog. What? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> that was so good but that's just an example of one of those jokes that just whips past so fast mm. and a kid will be like ha, 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 um. mm. as, oh, yeah. as an adult you're like, that's genius when several celebrities who were scheduled to do cameos had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts and others were brought in writer david odell was hired to rewrite the script and make each new cameo fit his work on this movie led jim henson to offer odell the job of writing the screenplay for the Dark Crystal. Oh. That's beautiful. Mm. But yeah, he was just a... He, he, done, he done well. He did well. He was mm. just somebody who had to manage a lot of moving parts. And Jim Henson was like, mm. moving parts, hey? We've got this other Muppet <laughs> film coming up. Um, yeah, that had a lot of moving parts. Holy moly. It sure did. Yeah. It's a shame that this film came out before that, uh, before the Dark Crystal, because otherwise we could have had some some skexes in the background of uh, that oh, big yeah. shot. Yeah, well, I mean, we could George we we could George Lucas it and just yeah. throw him in there. Yeah, absolutely. Just have someone back. Just get oh, wait, Mark no, Hamill no, in. Do, do the skexes impression. Do it. I interrupted you. <clears throat> Someday we'll find it. The Rainbow Connection. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, it would You're going to need to do that entire song now, please. Um, I will do it at a later date for our patrons exclusively. Uh, I will, yeah. I will absolutely do that. Um, Orson Welles plays a studio executive named Lou Lord, who draws up the standard rich and famous contract for the Muppets, <laughs> uh, which is a reference to real life producer Sir, Su- Sir Lou Grade. When Jim Henson was trying to find a producer to make the Muppet show on television, no American network understood or was interested in the concept. Uh, Grade recognised Henson's vision and made the show possible, and so that's why they basically wrote him into the film as the Deus Ex Machina. Mm. He's got a um, producer credit too at the beginning, because I'm like, well, a sir is the producer for that. You don't see that very often. Mm. No. yeah, it's it it is not common that you see that in films, but it's particularly American films. But yeah, no, he was mm. a sir who very much liked the Muppets, or at least uh, appreciated what they could be. And I think that's that's what wonderful. It, what it was. Mm. According to Austin Pendleton, the director of this film, James Frawley, was very unhappy directing the film and did not get along with the Muppet performers, which is a little sad to learn. Wow, that that would have made things very hard. Mm. Um, I kind of feel like the director would have been Jim Henson. You know what I mean? So it's potentially he would have been on set going, I want to do this as a director. And Jim Henson would have been going, no, we're going to do this. Because I've seen that before. Mm. It would be really tricky because it's directing at two different levels. Isn't like, Mm. like literally two different levels. I don't mean like met in a meta way. I mean like one person is directing backwards yep. and six feet underground and the other person is directing for what is seen mm. yep. that's that's the other thing it's that the technicalities of what they're doing on the monitors every every time they move left it actually goes right you know yeah. so, mm. a, so to try and show that to someone who doesn't like that director would have to then catch up on the what it is to puppeteer in that way mm. yeah 
it, yeah, it, and if they weren't, yeah, it's it is. On. It is very tricky. Uh, Jim Henson did want to direct this film himself um, and considered um, trying to to do it and obviously do the roles at the same time. But uh, executive producer Sir Lou Grade and Frank Oz convinced Henson otherwise because of the requirements of performing and developing the puppet techniques um, yeah. to allow the Muppets mm. to interact with the real world. Because this is the first time yeah. the Muppets are out in the real world. Uh, previously, it had all been television studio. In studio, stuff. yeah. So, mm. yeah, as much as, as much as I'm sure Henson would have loved to direct this film, he, he needed to do arguably the even harder thing of making the concept work of, of getting those yeah. Muppets out in the real world. Um, but yeah, it's a little sad James for all. They didn't have a, a happy time, but given that it would have been, you know, what, what's happening in this next scene, two cars drive at each other. Then we think they haven't crashed. And then one of the trucks is literally balanced on top of the other truck upside down. <laughs> there's, so a, good. there's a guy who's got an implied thing. relationship with his chicken. Like it, it would be a bad time mm. for a director. But that's the thing. What do you do with that as a director? You go, you, you're kind of, it's tricky because you're having well, you're to hand a lot of that response, directing responsibility off to your technic, your tech crews. You're, you know, you're directing traffic. It's almost like, yes. a, um, like an episode director on a TV show that's been long running. Absolutely. They oh, show which up, is really funny you say know what that. They're doing and, hmm? But that's really funny you say that because that, I, I, uh, that's what he did. He directed episodes of The Monkeys and... Ah, um, okay. Other so that's why he would have well. got the job. Yeah, James Frawley yeah, was predominantly a... a television director. Mm. So that go. makes a lot of sense that you that you say that. Because mm. I mean, those are the kind of directors you want on set is the ones that don't have an ego to go, I'm going to do it my way, who understand mm. that they're fitting into a system that's very well established and that they need to honour the tone and the, the setup that's come before them. That's what a good series director, episode director will do. But the problem becomes, and we've seen it actually recently with the newer Star Wars films where you get mm. the mature director changing everything around to be their vision and not necessarily honoring the setups and things that came before. And, but that's a different podcast. You can check that one out with uh, me and Shane Adamzak. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, before we conclude, the last bit of trivia relates to that big shot at the end with 250 Muppet characters. Um, according to Jim Henson archivist Karen Falk, um, this, this is sort of the breakdown of how it worked. So uh, according to Karen, 137 puppeteers were enlisted from the Puppeteers of America, along with the regular Muppet performers, to perform all of those Muppets. Uh, prior to the day-long filming of the shot, Henson gave the enthusiastic participants a lesson in the art of cinematic puppetry. Amazingly, that shot was achieved in just one day. The Muppet wow. Show fan club newsletter answered the question of how did they do it uh, by saying there are 250 puppets in the last shot of the film and they're all moving. 150 puppeteers in a six foot deep, 17 foot wide pit. That's how they did it. They recruited through the Los Angeles Guild of the Puppeteers of America and almost every puppeteer west of the Rockies reported for pit duty. Wow. <laughs> And uh, Pit Judy is absolutely what that place would have smelt like as well, because that would yeah. be a very hot environment. Yeah. So, yeah. so I wonder if you could get that many puppeteers onto something now. Uh, well, not I, right I, now. I don't think. <laughs> no, not pro like right now. Get on the phone right now. I have. 
280 puppets and I need puppeted immediately. And they're they're going to go, are we one and a half meters apart? And you're going to go, ah, yes, that. Ah, right, global pandemic. Yeah. Um, it also be a crash course in their specific style of puppetry because they, um, they don't, it's called Muppet style puppetry now because it's different to, it, it, it's fundamental puppetry, but they add extra syllables to the to hand movements, things like that. Mm. So there'd be a isn't lot it, of that isn't the, being taught as well. Isn't the tenement like quite wide open, snappy mouths and push head forward push heads? I I did yes. a, something like yeah. So it's the so like basic puppetry idea is you keep the um you keep your wrist still and you only move your thumb. So your thumb is controlling the mouth. And you don't move on every syllable. You move on every second syllable. Yeah. Um, whereas with Muppet puppetry, you, you, it's every syllable and it's much more animated, um, much more in the neck movements of the puppet as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, it would have been a bit of a, you know, a bit of a head, head fudge for, I can't think a of A head space really. shift. Yes, for um, those puppet, puppeteers that came on board. Absolutely. Such a beautiful scene. Such a beautiful scene. It is. And it's a brilliant way to close out that film and indeed to close out this review of The Muppet Movie. All that remains is for us to score the film. And Brett, this was your first time watching The Muppet Movie. Mm-hmm. What score would you give it out of 10? I'm going to give it 10 cloakers out of 10. It is a beautiful, <laughs> wonderful film. Fantastic. Excellent. Uh, Tegan, what about you? I would like to give it 10 songs about rainbows out of 10. <laughs> it is so beautiful. Like I, I said it to you guys as a joke when we were messaging back and forth about that scene where Kermit's talking to his, himself mm. about that being every artist during the time of COVID-19 <laughs> where, you know, you're questioning your life choices and you're, you, mm. you're feeling sorry for yourself and there's a lot of probably not just for artists, probably for a lot of people, but, and the conversation that he has with himself is so genuine and lovely and sweet mm. that I think there's a lot to get out of it to make you feel like your life choices are validated again. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> no, no, I completely agree, but it's just, it's so, I mean, that's, that's the brilliance of what this film is, is that yes. you have Muppets and absurdity and crazy jokes, but at its core, it's just about the truth of, of personality and people and the choices they make and that you can rely you on others to help. A, a, a real human actor having that same conversation would be patronizing and wouldn't hit the mark because it's an, mm. an frog puppet. It is, it speaks volumes. It's mm. so important. When I worked for Camp Quality and we, we used the puppets to tell kids about cancer and what cancer, you know, about um, the importance of being a friend to people with cancer and why people look different, things like that. Mm. We couldn't have done that without a puppet. The puppets mm-hmm. are what got these messages across, which were fairly intense without patronizing anyone. And kids actually took in that information. Mm. I feel like adults also take it in as well. They take in that, that additional level, which is mm-hmm. an emotion, I don't know, an emotional level. Cause we're not very good at 
talking to each other or looking at each other in the eye when we say these mm. things. So, well, look at Avenue Q, right? That's why that works because you take the absurdity of puppets and couple it with a lot of like real life, you know, still funny, but a lot of real life circumstances and suddenly it becomes, it works, you know, like Avenue Q is brilliant, but it couldn't have come from anything other than what the Muppets movie does and what they did with the Muppets. It's mm. the same premise of South Park and, you know, I mean, you know, yeah. being such shitty, shitty animation, <laughs> they, it's that, that's what they use to push the bound. You know, it's, there's, there's intelligence and reason behind it. It's not just to be silly for the sake of being silly. That's mm. why they've always made the, they've always made that stuff. It's always been the intention from the start mm. for the, for the Henson company. Um, I know that we're, you're wanting to wrap this up, but too bad. Um, <laughs> I, you know, we're coming up when this, when this goes to air, it'll be t uh, 10 days before the 30th anniversary of Jim Henson's death. Mm. And I think, again, I don't know. Again, I just, I think more people should watch the Muppets and watch these sort of things. There's heaps of documentaries out there at the moment. There's Carol Spinney's documentary because he passed away last year. He was big bird for 60 years he did it until he was in his 80s mm. um he was big bird and um an oscar and he like he talks about having to sing at henson's funeral um which is pretty incredible um when jim henson actually died they did a special episode of the muppets they did the because they had the jim henson hour on tv mm. and when he died because it was so sudden they um, they did an episode where all these kids were writing in letters to Kermit saying, um, hey, so Kermit wasn't there and Fozzie's running around going, where's Kermit? And everyone's like, where's Kermit? We need all this stuff done. We need this problem fixed. We need this done. And then all these letters start coming in and they're like, and they're all letters saying, dear Kermit, we're sorry to hear about your friend Jim's death. We're sorry to hear about Jim. We hope you're okay. We love you very much. And so for about 15 minutes, they start to realise that Kermit's lost a really close friend, that, he's, that someone's died who's really, really close to him. And then they start trying to figure out how they're going to support Kermit. Mm. And That's it's beautiful. Absolutely. And then it gets right to the end and Kermit walks in the door and all his friends are there waiting for him and it's the first time you hear the new Kermit voice. So it's this moment of adjustment for everyone because mm. obviously it's not the voice of Henson anymore. These, mm. This is why, this sort of stuff is why I lose my mind about Muppets and, mm. and those creators and what they do. They go to another level. Like that's really brave and really deep to do that stuff. Mm. It, it's a similar an, thing when Mr. Hooper died on Sesame Street. Oh my God, yeah. that's just devastating. Yeah, that's just it's yeah, it absolutely it's the same to have to just explain death so so bluntly but beautifully to mm. the epitome of a child, which is Big Bird, who is mm. a, a five-year-old, is mm. how they play him, mm. is incredible. It, it is kind of a a, well, a testament to those creative teams that they are able to produce uh episodic content that, that addresses things like that because I, I have seen that episode with the letters of the muppet show mm -hmm. and it is incredibly well done um it it, it feels it it's it's not that it doesn't feel out of place 
it just feels like it makes sense, I think, um, in terms of, of course, that's what they would do. They're the Muppets. That's, that's how they would address yes. this. Um, and I think mm-hmm. it's really lovely. In, in terms of my own score for this film, I, I've been sort of umming and ahhing for the last 20 minutes or so about whether or not this is a 10 out of 10 film for me. And I think it is. Um, I, I'm try, trying to, you know, but not not just give out Correct. tens because I had a great. <laughs> my my criteria is usually could they have made this any better than they did at the time, and a little bit yep. of me thinks perhaps they could have, maybe the odd technical yep. bit, maybe the odd joke here and there, but in terms of having now watched this film for the first time the whole way through, it really sort of for me makes makes sense as to why the Muppets are what they are. Um, yeah. it, it feels as though that obviously the TV show was massively important. It's where they began. Um, but but it feels like this film is very much them graduating is, is kind of the term yes. that, I, that I can think <laughs> of. It's yep, it makes sense, yeah. Yeah. And it's incredible. I actually think that's how they, they saw it themselves. It's mm. what I'm fairly certain there's a um, there's quotes out there from Frank Oz and Henson that they say the same thing. Um, I, yeah, just definitely. It, it's incredibly well told. It, the story is in, is simple, but they tell it really well. And I, I think the reason that I, I am going to give this um, 10 pig frog romance montages out of 10 is because, <laughs> it, is because it's full of so much um, technical prowess that is never wasted. It's not there for the sake of doing it. It's there for the sake of telling the story. Kermit riding the bicycle is amazing to look at. And mm. the fact that that is a practical effect. Um, the fact that this film has some very early use of green screen or blue screen technology um, with, yeah. with Fozzie and Kermit dancing, where they've clearly had to film them dancing away from the stage and then put them on the stage. Yeah. And it is amazing green screen matting for 79. Yeah. It is almost impeccable. Yeah. There's hardly, there's almost no fringing. There's no green bounce. It is, it's mm. incredible. Yeah, and also I, I have to acknowledge I have bias. If you put Mel Brooks and Madeline Kahn in with cameos, I'm probably going <laughs> to like your film. Um, it, it, but the main thing it made me go is I really wish I had seen this film in full as a child because I loved yeah, those yeah. Muppets films. I love Muppets Christmas Carol. It's my favourite Muppets film. It's my favourite Christmas Carol film. Um, yeah. It's uh, Same with Muppet Treasure Island. Same with Muppets from Space. Same with countless other things that they did. I saw them as a child and I really loved them and connected with them but i never saw this one properly and just watching this the whole way through it is so up my alley um mm. and i think <laughs> up your cloaca, up up your my cloaca. cloaca. <laughs> yes yes to take this beautiful sentiment and reduce it to a chicken in out point um no but that's but that's kind of the fun of this thing as well is they have these beautiful emotional moments but they don't take themselves too seriously because within two minutes gonzo's hanging off some balloons or miss piggy's you know um falling over or animals like being pulled by a chain or you know whatever is happening (laughs) there's this constant movement you know statler and waldorf will say something i think this film is one of the best statler and waldorf lines which is i've seen detergent with better film (laughs) it's like like yeah and it is they really are firing they're being incredibly creative and i i don't think they could have made this film any better than than they did and i think that they nailed everything so yeah it it is a 10 out of 10 for me so um Mm. 
yeah, it's yeah. it's all tens. Well done, everybody. Perfect score. Yeah. Oh, so That's happy. I'm so happy. <sighs> so uh, <laughs> I'm just out. I'm so I'm gonna get teary. Just so happy. We can still be friends. And hormonal. Yeah. Oh yeah, we can still be friends. <laughs> <Totes>. <laughs> This was the test. <laughs> this is the test. Yeah, fair enough. Ghostbusters is my one. Oh, all right. Oh my well. god, I was wearing my um, Vigo socks today. I got my. Oh, I didn't even talk about my boyfriend who has Muppet tattoos, and that's why I love him. Is, oh is wow! That, is that what first attracted you to him? Um. So we were we were just messaging messaging each other because we, we were talking about work because we mm. worked together, and um, we I made a joke about drinking out of my Kermit mug. Mm. And because Platt, you know, when you come to my house, you drink out of the Muppets mugs. Oh yeah, I'm I'm usually Miss Piggy. So yes, yes. <laughs> um, and so and he was like, "Are you serious?" And I was like, "Why?" And he go, and then he sent me a photo, and he was drinking out of his Kermit mug. <gasps> wow, Kismet. And then and then we were comparing Muppet stuff, and then he sent me a photo of his arm because he's got like ridiculous tattoos. He's got like muddy mud skipper and um. <laughs> He's got um, pops, <laughs> pops on one arm, and then he pulled his sleeve up, and he had um, Kermit on one, and on the other he's got Sweetums, who's the I want to go to Hollywood guy, who's yeah. my ultimate yeah. favourite, who's Robin the Frog, Kermit's nephew. That they're best friends, Sweetums, oh, yeah. Sweetums and Robin the Frog. <laughs> and they sing a bunch of songs together. Um, Sweetums is one of the most technically incredible puppets. He he is a full full body person in a puppet, mm. but then there's stuff in his face. Yes, where, I think so, I've seen the diagram so that, of that. There's a chin strap that makes that mouth open and close like that, but you can hook his arm onto his chest, pull your arm out, and start ma- maneuvering his eyebrows and and face as well. Right. So mm. when you watch the puppeteer, the arm hooks on sometimes, and then it comes up and down. It's incredible. That's so good. He had a big Sweetums on his arm. And then I went to his house and he's got Floyd Pepper and Janice, um, big electric mayhem pictures, like framed artwork up. Um, <laughs> he, oh, he's got, it was amazing. So I think, I think we've just heard Tegan fall in love all over again. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty incredible. Guys, that brings us to the end of this review. Thank you so much for joining me, Tegan and Brett. Thank, Thank you. you. And for for those of you listening at home, thank you for listening in. As we said at the top of the program, this is a special uh, Patreon special month where we're deciding to say uh, yippee and a howdy ha to all of our patrons. (laughs) I'm going to work on that. This is the first one. Uh, To all of our patrons. Um, This this is what they get to do this month. They get to suggest our filming lineup. Uh, I can tell you that uh, two of the other films that they will be doing coming up are The Rocketeer and Coco. So uh, it really is just any film that they want to do. Um, we right. still technically have a spot this month for another patron suggestion. So great Muppet caper. Ah, well, it, <laughs> we'll have to do it now. But uh, no, uh, if, if you are interested in joining up as a member of our Patreon uh, and becoming a member, you could get in a suggestion and decide a film that we review in the next couple of weeks. Just go to patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast uh, and another reason you should do it is for my rendition of uh, rainbow connection done entirely as the scientist skexis from dark crystal oh, yes. which uh, yeah. i will be doing because we're in lockdown yes. and i've got nothing to do <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, not as uh, worth uh, any amount of money, quite frankly. Yes. So uh, I, a I want to get Michael Degrassa and <laughs> I want to get Degrassa and reenact the scenes from the Miss Piggy song from the Never Before. <laughs> the Wuthering yeah. Heights. I want us to reenact those scenes. Hmm. Um, primarily just the running through the. Actually, I just want to reenact the Casablanca scene yeah. and then us running through the forest, um, <laughs> Wuthering Heights style, and him just falling off. Stacking it. Yeah. <laughs> Getting up again and looking behind him. All of that and more coming up if you support various Patreons. If you want to hear more episodes of this program, we've got uh, another 159 of these uh, that you can go and listen to if you really want to. All right. Yeah. Look, if you do it once a week for 160 weeks, that's what you get. Um, But yeah, if you want to go back and listen to them, uh, go back and listen to our review of the Muppet Christmas Carol. You can find all of that on SoundCloud and Spotify and iTunes and anywhere you get podcasts. And of course, uh, to stay in touch with more future updates from this program, we can be found on Facebook. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club there. Give us a like and you'll get new posts uh, as things happen. But that's all for this week. So until next time, goodbye. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.